We've had a great week. There were 160, 170 children all told, so this was just a small sampling to host 170 kids in our building. It took a, a small army, and uh, so if you helped this week with VBS, we're very grateful. Thank you for stepping up. I think VBS is one of the important things that we do. How often in hearing testimony do you hear children or adults testify that they came at a young age, that they heard the gospel uh, in a camp or a VBS or somewhere, and it's very clearly taught in, in and through our VBS, and we're grateful to have uh, young children um, running around our building. Thank you if you helped and volunteered this week, and special thanks to uh, Elisa, and, uh, and we're also thankful for your generosity. You know, the pies in the face were the culmination of a fundraiser. We were raising money for Bethel, and uh, our VBS raised over $3,000 for their Bethel Academy, uh, which astounds me. So thank you. That was uh, generous. I'm not sure how much of that was going toward Bethel and how much of that was going toward a pie to see in. Uh, either way, Bethel wins. So we've been talking a little bit about what it means to follow Jesus this summer in various ways. And we were in uh, Luke chapter 14 last week talking about what it means to love the Lord. Um, and uh, this week we're going to take the next verse, 27. So we're in, in Luke 14, 27. I'm going to read uh, 25 to 27. Hear then the word of God. Now the great crowds accompanied him, accompanied Jesus, were following Jesus. And so Jesus turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and have gathered to hear your word, to hear from you, that you might speak to us. Lord Jesus, that you might speak these words that you spoke to the crowds so long ago, that speak it to us again and to our hearts with truth and with power, that that by your grace, our hearts and our minds, our lives would be open to the truth of these words. That our lives might be conformed to them. That we might indeed take up our cross and follow you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My father's father was uh, fought in World War I. He emigrated from Sweden to avoid the war and ended up fighting for the U.S. in World War I. My mother's father was a naval captain. My father was a Marine. My brother is a, was a naval commander, a career who worked in the JAG Corps and retired recently. Military is, in my family has been around it. It's something that I considered seriously when I was young. When I was in high school trying to figure out what to do next, one of the options was military as I thought about it. Military in some ways is a terrifying life. And in other ways, an attractive life. It's a whole new way of life when you sign on the dotted line. And as I thought about signing on the dotted line, when you join the military, there are a lot of ways, a large degree, that you are no longer your own. You are, you are signed your life away for a period of time that you would belong to and serve something bigger than yourself, something new. There's 
You enter into a basic training and education program. There's initiation into all the military uh, history and traditions. There's a developing then of skills and um, of physical fitness and strength. And you enter into a whole way of life. An immersion into a structured life of discipline that at the very core of that life is being led by others. There's always somebody over you. There's somebody else giving the orders that you follow. I guess there's somebody at the top of the heap, but for, for, for by and large, for almost everyone, it's a life of submission. It's a life of, of obedience to others, to the orders of others, to go where they tell you to go and to do what they tell you to do. To live for something bigger than yourself. We talk about serving your country. Right? I gave those years, and I, and I gave myself entirely to do the will in the structured life of someone else out of service to my country. Now, I know that becoming a Christian is not exactly like joining the Marines, but there are a lot of similarities, right? And in, in even what I just said, there should, should be some echoes running through your head of where he's going with this in terms of the Christian life and things that Jesus has said. There are so many. This illustration gives us a sense of the self-surrender involved in following Jesus, of signing on the dotted line, and in some way, some real way, you know, you're not, you're not your own. You belong to something bigger than yourself. You enter into a whole new way of life. There's an immersion into a, a life that at its core is learning to be led by another. It's like a good Marine learning to be led by someone else. A Marine that questions his orders and argues with his superior officers is a bad Marine. And when he says charge, and you're like, really? Like, let's talk about that. No, when he says charge, you charge. When he says go, you go. And at the core of this life that Jesus is calling us into, there, there is an obedience to his word and to his commands and to his way that is uncompromising. And so obviously, becoming a Christian is a little bit like it, not entirely, but it does involve learning to live for something bigger than ourselves and to serve our country. Scripture is very clear. Christians are in countries all across the globe, right? They're broadcasting to 190 countries around the world, and there are Christians in, pretty, in every one of them, even if there are a few and wherever they are, though, their country, right? We belong to a kingdom, right? The kingdom of Christ. And the country and the home that we long for is, is none of these earthly ones, however they are defined or however good they are. We serve our country and our king just like we would if we joined the military. We come under his lordship, under his leadership and, and obedience to his word over our own, serving to the advancing of his kingdom in his country in the midst of this world. So when you encounter the Jesus of the Bible, you, it's interesting the, the contrasting, I guess, aspects of his character and of his call that you bump into when you read the pages of the Gospels and you're bumping into Jesus. And sometimes he comes across as so tender and so gentle. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, come to me and let me give you rest. So tender, so gentle. Neither do I judge her. Neither do I condemn her. Just go and sin no more. 
the gentleness and the tenderness in so many. We can go story after story. And then there's this other Jesus or this other side of Jesus that sometimes to some of the same people in other contexts, he turns on them and he strikes this stern and warning note. He turns on these crowds and he, and he strikes this stern note with them, calling them, challenging them. All these people who have been drawn to him by his tenderness and his gentleness. And he turns on them in a sense with this, with this stern statement or pair or series of statements. Really, if you look at the three in a row here, and we said as we looked at this, he says three things, 26 that ends with, or you, can, you, know, you cannot be my disciple. Or verse 27, that ends with, or you cannot be my disciple. Or he tells this little parable about building towers and going to war, but he ends it in verse 33 saying, therefore anyone who does not renounce all cannot be my disciple. And so that refrain, if you, if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. You're not my disciple. If you don't, you are not my disciple. And he lays out, he sifts this crowd that has gathered under his tenderness. He sifts them. The cross, verse 27, when he says, whoever does not bear his own cross. When we talk about the cross, and there's no other way to hear it in this context, Jesus standing in these days among these people in the midst of the Roman Empire when Israel was nothing but a, what a Roman province and when he says, you take up your cross, it means nothing else in their minds but an instrument of execution. There's no other place for their mind to go. It's an instrument of execution, and anyone who takes one up will end up hanging on it. Will die on it. And so there is this image when he says, unless you take up your own cross and be prepared and, and to to die a certain death. He says, you can't be my disciple. He's saying something must happen at the very beginning of the Christian life. Right? And this is what he's doing, this, this crowd of would-be followers, you know, where you know, they're all following him, we said, maybe for various reasons why they're in the crowd. They heard he did some amazing things, and they want to check it out. They're there because you know, their parents brought them, or you know, whatever the reason, they end up in the crowd. Jesus turns on them and says, there's something, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be a Christian, something at the very beginning then of this whole endeavor, of, of this relationship that you want to have with me to come after me and be my disciple, something happens at the very beginning of it. This picture of a definitive break, a death, that Jesus intends for all of us to make, whoever wants to come after Everyone who wants to come after, all who want to follow me, must take up their cross. And he intends for us to make then this, this break. There's a death. And it's a death with our old life. It's a death for a life that was lived without him. It was a death like, you know, before the Marines signed on the dotted line. And signing on the dotted line was like taking up his cross and dying to his old life when he didn't have... Superior officers telling him what to do. To his old life where he went where he wanted to go and do what he wanted to do. When he made his own decisions. 
You know, when he got to deliberate about what he wanted to do, his own will. There is a dying to your own will to do the will of another. You've signed it away. And Jesus says, there's a dying to yourself. There's a death you must die if you want to follow me. Because it's not going to be your will that is done, but my will. And so there has to be a dying of your self-life. We said last week it's very easy to be a part of the crowd. Very easy to gather in the crowd. Our faces just get lost in the crowd. You know, who knows who's in the crowd when it was all over? Matthew, you know, was so and so there was something? I don't know. There's so many faces. You know, I saw a few of you. But it's hard to know who's in the crowd. And there's no cost to hanging out in the crowd. There's no cost to just showing up and watching. A lot of people showed up to watch Jesus, watch what he would do next, hear what he would say next. But there's no cost to showing up as a spectator. Jesus says there's just no spectators when it comes to following me. There's no hanging in the crowd without hearing definitively this statement that comes not to the crowd in mass, but each person in the crowd must hear it for themselves. You must hear it. This statement when Jesus says, unless you take up your own cross, you cannot by definition, a Christian is someone who has taken up their cross and it says died to themselves that they may live for Christ. Jesus is not interested in groupies. And he deliberately sifts the crowd. It's really an expansion of the last thing that he said. And we talked last week about this hard saying of Jesus in verse 26 where you don't hate your own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters. We talked about that that's a negative way of saying the positive thing. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And negatively, he says, and then, then your love for him, should all other love should pale in comparison. And so there's this, he's trying to paint by negatively in, in, in hyperbole, paint this, gra- this picture of what it means to love him. And if, and if it comes down to your parents or him, it's him. If it comes down to your children or him, it's him. If it comes down to where your love and the focus and the center of your life, if it's going to be your children or him, it's going to be him. And only then can you really love your children as you should. But it must be him. And so he argues. But he ends with that statement. And yes, not only all this family tie. He says, yes, even his own life. And I believe in 27, it describes somewhat of what it means to despise your own life. To take up your cross and kill it. Take up your own loft, your, your own cross and die to it. So that you can come under the Lordship of Christ. It's a picture of Jesus' absolute claim upon us. If we would be his disciple. John Murray says, Have you ever thought of it, my friend, with sufficient seriousness? That the first thing, at the front end, at the beginning of the Christian life, when you want to start following Jesus, right there at the first thing that we have to be saved from is our own selves. We have to be saved from our, from, we're our own worst enemy. That old life, that life lived centered around ourselves, doing what we want to do. Our will, our way, our morals, our standards, our choice, our whatever. Jesus says we die to the self-life, self-indulgence, self-centeredness. We understand the first thing that we have to be saved from is ourselves. In another place, he says, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. 
and then follow me. Unless we take up, we are not and cannot be. We have to get off the throne. I believe it's part of what he is saying here. The sense in which we die to ourselves is to get off the throne of our lives. And to let Jesus reign as king over us. Whose word is law. And is uncompromisingly obeyed. Who is served above all other masters and all other things. And there's nothing else at the center. To die to our own self-sufficiency and independence. And so Galatians 5.24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are following him, who, who he owns, those, if you want to belong to him, he said, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, that is, their, their old self, their old self-life, the flesh, which is where our life apart from God is. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires so they can be passionate about and follow the desires and the will of their king. That's what it means to belong to him, to be owned by him, so to speak. There must be a turning away from. Romans 12, 1, Paul says it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a, a crucified life, a, a crucifixion where there is a crucifixion and a, and, and a life dies, an old life dies, but but it's a living sacrifice. It's, it's a life that continues, and a life that continues to do what? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, not conforming any longer to the patterns of this world, but, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind and what it means to sign the dotted line and belong to Christ. It's kind of like joining the military. You live for something bigger than yourselves. Learning to live for Christ. And like a Marine, you wake up every day to obey someone else's orders. To go where he sends you and to do what he tells you. To come under and to come after. Right? And that's what he says next. You must take up your, your own cross and it's your cross, not his. It's your cross and come after me. And if you don't come after me, you can't be my disciple. See, in, in one way, taking up the cross is the negative part of it, to die to your old life. But there's a positive side to that. You've got to come after him. you got to fill that, that life that, that died and created space. You fill it with a, a life of following him. I mean, it sounds so obvious, but if you want to be a Christian, you've got to actually follow Jesus. But actually, there's an awful lot of confusion about that these days. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christian. The church in America is full of them. But there are no signs of the life we're talking about. There are no signs of following Jesus. A lot of people out there who don't go to church and have any part of it and say, oh, I believe, I believe. And he says, though, if you haven't taken up your cross, you're not coming after me and following me, then you're not. You cannot be. It's hard to do it out there on your own. Sounds obvious, but if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to follow Jesus. And following Jesus means a number of things. And the first thing that it means is abandoning all reliance on ourselves for our own salvation. We were really just singing it. Uh, I love that song that the VBS sang. What a great song about God's grace, and it's all of grace. 
and what Jesus has done for us. And so the first thing, uh, what it means to come after him and to, and to die to ourselves is to, is to fully abandon any trust in the good things that we do, trust in, in our own life or our old life, and, and utterly and completely put our faith and our trust and our hope in what Jesus has accomplished for us. To definitively and firmly and completely and genuinely place your faith and trust in Christ as Savior, the one who has done for you what you can't do for yourself, who has died the death to pay the price for our sin that we can't afford to pay for ourselves, and to abandon all sense of our doing, of making us right with God, or that good enough theology. If you hear it, you ask people when you stand that day before God, and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? And the answer you get so often is, well, I've tried to be good enough. You know, I've tried to you know, be a good person. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't, you know, I, I, I was good enough. And there's no good enough theology in the scriptures. Nobody is good enough. And until we abandon, abandon, die, crucify any sense that we have good stuff of our own to stand before God with and put our trust wholly and completely in Christ and what he has done for us. It's beautifully said in Philippians by Paul. He says, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I have crucified that life. You know, all that stuff that I, I thought was something, I've suffered the loss of it all. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not in my own righteousness, right? Having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from the good things I've done. I don't want that righteousness. It will never stand up. But a righteousness that is not my own, that comes through faith in Christ. And it's when we stand on that righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith and faith alone. And that we die and abandon any sense of our own righteousness or good enough theology. To follow him means to trust in him alone, but it also means to live according to his word and to obey his will and his commands. 1 John 2, 3, it says, by this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that we're his followers? So you can't be my disciple of this. You're, you are my disciple of this. We know that we've come to know him and we're his disciples if we keep his commands. If we're not obeying our own orders and doing our own thing and living the way we want and making up our own rules and living by our own standards, but when we have put all, have died to all of that and we are now knowing, and loving, and learning, and obeying his commands, his will, then we know, then we know. And only then do we know. Followers of Jesus love his word and they seek to know it and to apply it. That's why they come and sit under preaching because they want to know his word and they want, to, they want it brought into their lives, not just so that they can amass information, but so that their lives can experience a transformation from that old life to the new one where Christ is king. This definition of a disciple not just a hearer of the word. Right? This is what James says. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer. Otherwise, you're just deceiving yourselves. You're not his disciple. If you're the hearer of the word, but you're not the doer of the word, he says we've deceived ourselves. We're part of the crowd where we've shown up as to watch and to listen and to see, but we're not actually following. 
until we become doers of the word, until we die to our own ways and follow him and his commands, we are not following until we're actually following. We're not until we're doers and not just hearers. 1 John 2, 5 and 6, he says this, we, by this we know that we are in him. Another way of saying that we know him. Another way that say we abide in him. Another way that says that we follow him. By this we know that we're in him. Whoever says that he abides in him, that he's a follower of Jesus and he's in Christ, in him, he ought to walk. She ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. That's what it means to follow. Jesus walked here, lived like this, Loved the Lord's, loved the law, loved the, lived a life pleasing unto God. Anyone who wants to be his follower has to walk behind him, right? Has to walk behind him. As he walked, we walk. To follow means to, to follow. It's the definition of a disciple. The heart of the Christian life, the heart of a true Christian, is a desire to be more and more like Jesus. And the only way for that to happen is to be in his word and to know his word and to want to obey his word and, and daily then to be in this relationship with Jesus that's changing us according to his word. A living sacrifice. Luke 6.46, Jesus asked the crowd, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why are you in the crowd? If you're not going to do what I say. Like he says, let's put aside the pretense. Lord, Lord. But you don't do it. You're hearers of the word, but you're not doing the word. There's no cross. There's no following. Jesus tells a parable in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which causes disciples to do many things. And he tells a parable that in the end of which, you know, that there's a house built on rock and a house built on sand. And he talks about which one is going to stand. And I ask every new member's class when we're going through part of one of my talks, I ask the question, you know, what's the rock in the parable? And nine out of ten get it wrong every time. Because most of us want to say, and most of us will say, well, the rock is Jesus, right? Obviously. If you want to stand on the rock, you stand on Jesus. Anybody standing in anything but Jesus is sand. Kind of, sort of true. I mean, fully true, but, but not what he's saying in that particular parable. If you remember, he says, the one who hears my words and does what? Puts them into practice. He's the one who's building his house on the rock. So when the storm comes and judgment comes, it stands. But the one who hears these words of mine and does not practice them is a hearer but not a doer. He hasn't taken up his cross and isn't really following. The one who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a man or a woman building their house on sand. And when the storm comes and when judgment comes, it's going to fall and great is going to be the fall of that house. And Jesus is saying there's a sense in which he's the rock, but only in that parable in the sense of which you're actually following him and obeying him as Lord and Savior. Hebrews 2, 12, 2 says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He scorned its shame, but he endured the cross, it says, for, for joy. And I want us to hear this morning as we move to close that we can only take up our cross because Jesus willingly and joyfully took up his cross. He bore, you know, for all of us who follow upon that event, 
He bore his cross first. And it was for joy that he took it up. And for joy, despising the shame, it was for joy. He bore the cross because he loved us. He took the shame and the pain of that cross for the joy and love that he has for us. Right? Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in this, that when we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross. This is his love. He shows, he manifests his love to us through the cross of Jesus. 1 John 4.9, in this, the love of God is manifest among us. Here is where we see the love of God, that he sent his only son into the world to die on a cross so that we might live through him. For joy, for love, he takes up his cross. So for joy and for love, we take up ours. We hear this call to take up ours in the, in the context and in the wake of his bearing of his own cross. For those who, of us who have come after him and have his full word, he loved us first. He bore his cross first. For joy, he bore it. He joyfully bore his cross to save us from ourselves and from our sin, right? The first thing we had to be saved from is ourselves, our, our sin, our life without him. And so 1 Peter 2, 24 and 5, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree on the cross. Right? He, he bore his cross in order to pay the penalty for our sin. That we might die to sin. That is, that we might take up our own cross and die to that life. So that we might live to righteousness. And we might follow him. He died on his cross so that we could bear our cross and follow him. He died to save us from ourselves so that, so that we could come after him. So that we could, in a response of love, follow him. Jesus joyfully bore his cross to change us. It's a deep work, this cross. It goes down to the very root of things. Titus 2.14, a couple more verses. Who gave himself for us on the cross to redeem us, right? To redeem us from all lawlessness to that old life. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good works. That is, zealous to follow him and be like him. 2 Corinthians 5.15, he died for all on the cross so that those who live might not live any longer for themselves, but for him that signed on the dotted line, die to their old self and follow him. The Christian joyfully, gratefully, wholeheartedly, passionately responds to this call. It sounds in a sense harsh, but to those who know him, to those who see who he is and what he has done. This call, while it may sound harsh on some ears, for those of us who know the one who is calling and what he has done for us, this is the, this is the response of love. This is the response of gratitude. This is the response of loving him back, loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to live for him. It really is nothing more and nothing less than loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just like 25 calls us to that, 26 calls us to that love, and 27 is really a picture of what that looks like.
The spring of every act of self-denial is an act of love for Jesus. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of belonging. It's an act of being his disciple, of being bought at a price so that we're no longer our own, that we gratefully belong to this king, this king who loved us so much that he would die for us, this king who says that the, that the cross and death, if you, if you follow in his pattern, we know it leads to resurrection and to life. And he wants resurrection and life for us. And so he calls us to follow in his footsteps. These are the marks of a true disciple. Jesus is gathering a people out of the crowd. Out of the crowd. He's gathering a people who know him and love him. And so are willing to sign on the dotted line and follow him. Really follow him. Walk with him every day. Are you his disciple? Are you a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Maybe today you're realizing maybe you're not. That when you hear his standard, his understanding of what it means laid before us, it, maybe you realize I've never done that. Maybe I've, I've never surrendered myself to, to fully trust in him for my salvation, what he did, and, and to fully surrender myself to follow him as my king, my Lord. And if you've never done that, this is the perfect day. The Lord, this invitation comes to us again and again. Will you be his disciples? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. and He will give you rest for your souls. He will make you one of his own to belong to him now and forever. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we confess that in ourselves we cannot stand before you on that day. We need a Savior. We need you and we need the righteousness that is not our own, but that comes through faith. We need your righteousness. And so we put our faith and our trust in you, Lord Jesus, to save us from ourselves and from the judgment that will fall on us because of the life that we have lived apart from you. Come, Lord Jesus, we surrender. We give ourselves to you afresh. We abandon ourselves to do your will to love your word and your command and to obey and to come after you. Help us to love you so much, so much that all other loves, even for our own lives, pales in comparison so that we may be more like you every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.